Ovarian cancer is the seventh most common cancer in women worldwide, and five-year survival continues to remain low. In the UK, this has been attributed to delayed diagnosis. A recent clinical review on the BMJ.com and an accompanying podcast describe what symptoms women and doctors should be looking out for. And to talk about those, I'm joined today by two women who have had and been treated for ovarian cancer. I'm Sophie Cook, Clinical Reviews Editor, and firstly, I'm joined by Adele, who after battling breast cancer, found herself with a second cancer diagnosis, this time ovarian. Adele, thanks for joining me today to talk about your experience. Can I ask first, what symptoms led you to realise that something wasn't right? The first symptom that I had was sciatica at the end of 2007 and towards early 2006. And the reason why I think that that was a symptom of ovarian cancer is because immediately after surgery for ovarian cancer, I've never had uh, another symptom of sciatica again. What other symptoms developed after the sciatica? Early 2006, I started to have urinary frequency. And I went to my GP and I was tested for urinary infection and nothing was found. And then at some point later that year, I think I started to have um, like a vaginal discharge. It wasn't, it didn't have any color or any odor. It was almost as if I was becoming a little bit incontinent. So I started wearing um, not sanitary towels, but little panty liners because that was just enough to absorb what was coming out. And I think I probably went to my GP and, again, um, had various tests and nothing was found. And then in, I think, early 2007, because the urinary frequency was still there and the vaginal discharge was still there, and I was mindful of the fact that I'd had breast cancer in the past, I um, asked to have, I, I was up to date with my cervical smears, but I asked to have another cervical smear because I thought something was wrong in the whole gynecological area and I thought it could be cancer. And I mistakenly thought that a cervical smear would test for all cancers in that area. So again, that cervical smear in early 2007 came back to say that there wasn't any cancer. And I sort of thought to myself, you know, these symptoms are not very nice, but at least it's not cancer. And I suppose I just have to live with urinary frequency. And by that, I mean going to the toilet about once every hour during the workday. And, you know, I just carried on with these panty liners. And um, I was planning to go for a cruise, meeting up with old school friends at the end of August of 2007. And I seemed to be gaining weight, so I decided I would go on an exercise program. And I was exercising regularly, but I noticed that, A, I didn't seem to be losing any weight. And while my hip measurement went down, my waistline seemed to be expanding. So I think at some point I'd lost two inches on my hips, but I somehow gained two inches on my waist. And I think that that was the classic bloating of um, ovarian cancer. In June of 2007, I was in Jamaica um, for a niece's wedding. And I found I was getting constipated, and I just put that down to a change in water because I was overseas. And when I came home, you know, I just started making sure I was eating more fruit and so on. But the constipation didn't go away. And 
I think by August, early August of that year, um, when I pressed my belly button, I found that it was quite tender. So I went to my GP on the 6th of August, 2007, and I'd written down the six symptoms that I now had, which were constipation, the fact that when I pressed my belly button, it was tender, and it felt like if there was some sort of soreness on the inside. I mentioned that my waist, when I was asked if um, I'd lost any weight, I mentioned that I'd lost two inches on my hips, but I'd gained two on my waist. The urinary frequency, um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it would have been in my notes. And I think I assumed that the GP would have read my notes before the meeting, but I'm not sure if that does happen. And um, I was sent home with two types of um, laxatives rather than, you know, and I think at the at the meeting with the GP, I did mention that I had a history of breast cancer. And because of the constipation, I mentioned, you know, could it be colon cancer and could I have a colonoscopy? And she did refer me for a colonoscopy in early September. Those, I think, were all the symptoms I had starting at the end of 2005 and going on until September 2007. So quite a long time before the diagnosis was actually reached. Yes, that's right. A good 18, 19 months. What what, what actually happened um, finally that, that led to the diagnosis of ovarian cancer being made, Adele? So I went, I went on the cruise with my friends and it became clear that my stomach was expanding even more. And, you know, I started joking with my friends, you know, oh, look, I must be pregnant. I knew that I was not pregnant. Um, and I think possibly on the last night of the cruise, there was a point where, in fact, um, for formal night on the cruise, I decided to wear the dress that I'd worn in June to my niece's wedding. And that dress, when, when I'd worn it in June, I regarded it as a dress which was fitted around the, the, um, the breasts and loose all the way down. But sitting at dinner on formal night, wearing this lovely long dress, I suddenly became aware that it actually had like some bones in it, which, because my stomach had expanded so much, were now boring into me. So as soon as dinner was over, I ran down to my cabin to take that dress off. I just wanted it off as quickly as possible, and I just put on casual clothes. And um, I think one of my friends teased me because they'd, they'd now, by the time I came back up in my casual clothes, they'd now decided to have a photograph, you know, because there's this big group of us. So everybody was wearing their finery, and I was here wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And somebody said something like, oh, look at Adele, you know, look what we're wearing and look what she's wearing. And I think I ran off to the, back to the cabin in tears because, feeling quite upset because I knew that, you know, there was something seriously wrong with me. We had to go back to New York and then fly home to the UK. Got back on a Sunday and the mo- Monday morning I phoned the GP and said I need an emergency appointment, and I came down to the surgery and waited until I could be seen. Um, I said to the GP who I saw that time, I said, well, look, I'm not um, constipated anymore. I think by now there was so much ascites in my system that everything was was coming out, really. And um, I said, you know, look at how big my stomach is. And he immediately said, I think you might have ovarian cysts. He said he could offer me a 
an appointment for a scan in two weeks' time, but um, I mentioned that I had private health care, so I was able to see a radiologist for ultrasound that same afternoon. I later found out in his referral letter for me to see a gynecologist later that week that his view was that there were cysts as well as malignant tumors. That you know that that's what he'd seen. He didn't tell me that. I didn't find out until I saw the the notes in the referral letter. So I then saw the um, the gynecologist. I think on the Thursday, having seen the radiologist on the Monday, and I think he pretty much said that he thought it was ovarian cancer. And I had a CA one two five test that day, and I think they resulting the resulting number was over 2000 and i was told that a normal ca125 should be something below 35 absolutely yeah so i was then referred to the royal marsden hospital and my husband and i went up we went by the train and i remember by then i looked pregnant and i was 44 years old they drained off all the ascites and they drained off five litres of fluid. Goodness. So, um... Did that make you feel better at that time? You did give some symptomatic relief. Yes, that's right, because I wasn't able to sleep properly. I couldn't lie down flat in my bed. I think before the drainage, so maybe for a week or two before the drainage, I used to come downstairs in the middle of the night and sleep in a reclining chair with my feet up, because I think having all that fluid, it was probably pressing on my lungs, so I couldn't breathe properly lying flat. But once the fluid was drained off, I felt much, much better. Um, I came home that day, and lots of family came over to visit, and that was quite a lovely day. And then I think something like September 23rd, I had my first chemotherapy, and came home the next day my sister took me to have my hair cut which I think that was her recommendation and I think it was a good one because A, uh, my husband and daughter had never seen me with my hair short before my daughter was 12 years old at the time and I think it got them accustomed to seeing my hair short and it also meant that I didn't have that experience which I think a lot of women go through of going into the shower or brushing their hair and all their long hair coming out in handfuls and so on I think it's less emotionally draining if you have your hair cut first. And, um, yeah, so that was that was the early symptoms and diagnosis. Rosemary has also had a diagnosis of ovarian cancer, though hers has not been related to a BRCA mutation. Rosemary, thanks for joining me today. Can, well, I ask f- <laughs> can I ask first, what symptoms first led you to realise that something wasn't quite right? Well, I had bladder weakness. I was losing weight. I generally didn't feel well at all. Um, I did have backache, which I've learned is also a symptom later, but I've got a problem with my spine anyway, so I didn't... I didn't uh, I, until later, I didn't know that was a symptom. But... Um, I really had no idea whatsoever it might be. It might turn out to be cancer. I just, different girlfriends said, oh, you've probably got a, an infection, a bladder infection. Um, and then I started to have um, bleeding. So I went, I, was, I went to the doctor and sent me to a gynecologist and he did, uh, he must have done at least three 
ultrasound scans and couldn't find anything wrong um, and I wasn't getting anywhere so in the end I went to see another gynecologist and he said I think the best thing is if you have a hysterectomy so I had a hysterectomy and um, he left my ovaries in um, a year went past and I was still not feeling well I was still losing weight I still had the symptoms and so I went to the doctors and unfortunately my normal doctor was on holiday and I saw a locum and he said, oh yes, I think you've got a, I think you've got a bladder infection. So I did a couple of tests and I still didn't feel well so I went back again <laughs> and he didn't even want to see me the second time. He just sent me an, out an, another prescription for antibiotics um, which I took and then I suddenly felt so ill I was actually laying on the kitchen floor thinking there is something so wrong with me, whatever can it be. And my my tummy started to distend, which I've never I've never had a weight problem in any and in any case, as I say, I was losing weight. So I went back to my GP and I and I said, Look, there's something very wrong and my normal doctor had come back from holiday and he examined me and he said, Rosemary, you've got a mass there, go straight to the hospital now. So I went to the local hospital and they did a CA-125 and the following day, it was late in the day, so the following day I went back for a scan and then came out with those dreaded words um, and you need to see um, an oncologist. Um, so it all happened in a year. Um, so that was my story anyway. <laughs> and, I mean, it sounds like you, you had typically for ovarian cancer, quite vague symptoms um, with the, you know, the urinary symptoms and the back yeah. pain, which all obviously linked up together when, when you put, when, you know, when you, when you yeah. start to think about it. But individually, they can be attributed to, to very different conditions. Of course, of course. And I didn't have the swollen tummy until, you know, right, what I call at the very end, yes. before I was actually diagnosed. And you, you went on after your diagnosis to have the, the surgery, and was it surgery first and then chemotherapy for you, Rosemary? Or yes, it was. It was, okay. Yeah. And how long, how long was your treatment in total? Um, it, was, um, it was just a little bit less than six months. It was six rounds of Taxol and Carboplatin. And how did you find the chemotherapy? What, what side effects did you have that you think it's important that, that women are told about? Well, of course, I lost all my hair. Had a... Some women, some ladies only have carboplatin, um, and they don't all, they don't always lose their hair. But I had the taxol for sure. You will lose your hair. Um, um, yes, it doesn't doesn't make you feel very pleasant. But I I found which I always said to the ladies on the clinic. When, the first one is frightening because you don't know what to expect. Then the second one comes round and you think, right, I'm prepared for this. And then by the time it gets to the third one, you think, whoa, I'm halfway through. Um, and then you're given steroids to try and combat the side effects, obviously. Um, but it, it does make you feel... Those, those few days after the treatment make you feel very, very tired. Um, but it's surprising, actually, how quickly the time goes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Adele, you've now finished treatment, so you've had chemotherapy and surgery. Yeah. And I just wonder about, you know, what when you were going through those, what did you find particularly difficult? Were there any sort of treatments that gave you side effects that you found hard to cope with? And just so that GPs who are 
seeing women with ovarian cancer who might be referred for chemotherapy and surgery, it's useful for them to know from patients what the feedback is from the treatment they've had. Well, I find chemotherapy absolutely horrendous to go through. But when people ask me what it is, it's very difficult to explain the, the, the symptoms that I find hard. To me, to say that you're feeling tired just doesn't really explain it well enough to me. You know, they speak of chemo fatigue and, and people speak of it as tiredness. Mm. And to me, if I'm tired, I will go and lie down in my bed and I expect to feel better as a result of doing that. But with chemo, I'm feeling the same way, whether I'm sitting up or lying down. And it's something in my head. And I normally say to people, I feel as though my head is frozen. And it's just an awful feeling. And, (coughs) excuse me, the other thing, I think that, I don't know if it's the chemo or if it's the steroids that you're given to try and give you extra energy, but I feel it has an emotional effect on me. So that in that first week immediately after the chemo, um, which is when I'm having all the worst symptoms, um, I think at times I get very emotional and very tearful, you know, almost in like a woe is me kind of um, of way. Mm. Um, you know, and, it, and it's, just, it's just very difficult to explain to people what, what it is because I think... Before I had chemotherapy, I thought the worst side effect was throwing up because mm. that's what I've seen on television. Yes. In fact, the the treatments now for to prevent um, sickness are so good that a lot of people pass through chemo without throwing up. Mm. Um, I did have some episodes of throwing up, but that was not the most significant symptom. It is this frozen head feeling. It is the... the in the first week, if, if, say, I had chemo on a Monday, from about Wednesday until Sunday, you just feel absolutely awful. Then in the second week, you feel a little better. And then in the third week, you start to feel like yourself again. And just as you start to pretty much feel like yourself, then you... You're you back to... Re- <laughs> yeah, back to square <laughs> one again. Over again. And yeah. then the other symptoms are the peripheral neuropathy in the fingertips and in the feet. Um, I have a friend who had different chemotherapies from me, um, but eight years later, her feet are still giving her trouble, right. and she has to stand up all day. Um, so I think when I had chemo, as soon as, as, as the peripheral neuropathy started, I told the oncologist, and I think that they did reduce the dose of one of the chemotherapies that I had. I had carboplatin and um, Taxol. Sometimes people report the side effects and some people may not report the side effects. I see. So perhaps as health professionals, it's worth reiterating that these side effects are worth reporting to your doctor and that there's a possibility that treatment can be changed. Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, especially for somebody whose job has them on their feet all day. Rosemary, you've finished treatment too now. How has it been since then? Are you on regular surveillance? I'm very fortunate in that I still have an annual checkup. Okay. Um, I am still very closely li- linked with Southern Hospital. I help run a gynae cancer support group once a month. Okay. Uh, which is very nice because all the la- we've got a nice group of ladies um, 
that have befriended each other and it isn't miserable at all. Mm. Um, we have a raffle and um, I make cakes and it's a really nice social morning out. And when I've been to um, uh, functions at Target Ovarian Cancer, I've tried to encourage women to try and start something because they said, oh, we've, we've nothing like that in our area. Yes. But or, or we think, oh, I wouldn't. They Some have said, oh, no, I wouldn't want to go back to the hospital when I don't have to. But it, it's very good for women to be able to, to... Everybody in the room has been through the same experience. Yes, yeah. So it's very supportive, and uh, I think it's uh, a good thing to do. And how did how did that come about, that um, that sort of session at, at Southend? Was that something you were involved in setting up? Well, um, my specialist nurse and Mr. Rasby, um, uh, who was my surgeon, had... had just sort of started started um, talking about setting something up so uh, it was put to me as, as well would I I said I'd like to join I'd mm. like to be involved so I've arranged all sorts of things like fashion shows and so on and it's um, it's it, they've what they've done they've actually arranged it they arranged it um, oh, sorry I'm stuttering organized a charity called copes at South End hospital okay so the, the support group was um, an offshoot really from copes Mm. That's a fantastic model, um, and like you say, it's uh, it's something which probably could be set up easily in other hospitals if there are willing volunteers and and people who want to share experiences. Yes, mm. it's it's really it is really very it's very good for women. What sort of what advice would you give doctors based on your experience? What advice? I I just think they need they just need to be totally aware. Mm-hmm. Um, the trouble is, I think, although because of, of working at the hospital, I know how many women have had ovarian cancer. In a GP's um, life, working lifetime, I don't think they actually come across that many cases, which is a bit of a worry. Um, so that's possibly why there isn't so much awareness. They don't come across it so often. I've I've gone to my local surgery, for instance, with leaflets quite regularly. Um, and I've said, you know, just spoken about it, and they, it, it doesn't seem to be um, so common as say as breast cancer. And of course, breast cancer's had so much awareness given to it, um, and obviously the symptoms are more obvious. The leaflets that you're mentioning, Rosemary, where could our listeners get hold of those if they wanted to to look into to the symptoms and the signs? Where would you direct them? I, I would really recommend that they go on to Target Ovarian Cancer's website because they really are, they do wonderful work. I, I was with them from the very beginning um, and they've, they've grown so much and, and, and brought about so many good, good, good things. It's just, just tell them to look at their website. It's, uh, it directs them to help, it directs them to all sorts of areas. It's really, really good. So Rosemary, if, if, patients were interested in setting up a support group similar to the one that you're involved with in South End. Mm. do you have any website or resource that you could point them towards um copesuk.org is our is our support group and our charity at south end hospital if we can be of any assistance to anybody that that would be that's fine adele is there anything that you think our, our listeners should should know or anything else that you would like to to talk about i think the one thing which worries me is when i hear about patients going to their gps and being told that they're only allowed to discuss one symptom in a in a visit because it's clear to me that especially with things like ovarian cancer, 
it's the collective symptoms which would help to highlight to a GP that there is something going on here. Um, even though I went to my GP with six symptoms um, in August of 2007, it was clear that she zoomed in just on the constipation. Um, you know, but I think it's important that, and also GPs, I, I think when I was given the prescription for two types of laxatives, I, my thoughts were, well, I think there's something more serious about this, you know, seriously wrong with me than just constipation. And maybe even if GPs could ask at the end of a consultation, are you happy, you know, with this prescription or do you think, you know, some kind of follow-up question to ask the patient if they're happy with the treatment that they're being offered today. You know, because I went home to my husband and said, look what I've been given. You know, I'm not going to take these. There's something, you know, there's something more seriously wrong. And I was able to say that to my, to my husband, but we know the GPs are highly intelligent people who, you know, so you don't really feel that you want to, to question your GP or to challenge your GP. So the GPs must find a way to make sure that the, the, the patient is actually satisfied with the outcome of the consultation. Thanks to Rosemary and Adele for sharing their experiences with us. Rosemary mentioned target ovarian cancer and we'd like to thank them for putting us in touch with Rosemary and Adele who've kindly shared their experiences with us today. You can find more information via their website at targetovariancancer.org.uk. If you want to find out more about the diagnosis and treatment of ovarian cancer, have a listen to the accompanying podcast with Suda Sundar and read the review Diagnosis of Ovarian Cancer, now available on thebmj.com.